You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, it's David Bloom back with another episode of Bloom in Tech. I am so glad you have chosen to join me again. Let me uh, once again put in a nice word for our sponsors and hope you're able to support them and all that they do and help make this possible. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately and talking with some folks about a really interesting uh, conundrum. Um, I was talking with a guy named Sefi Shapira over uh, a drink the other day. He is CEO of EscapeX, and he posited a really interesting notion. Is it possible the biggest competition facing social media platforms such as Instagram and all the rest comes from the influencers themselves who use Instagram and other platforms? That is, if I am a big-name influencer and I cut a sponsorship deal with a brand, I'm actually taking money away from the platform itself where that sponsored video will run. The brand could have just bought ads directly on the platform, but my sponsored video is probably better, probably cheaper, and connects directly with fans in a way that plain old advertising on the platform almost never does. Money that comes to me directly is money the platform never sees and never gets a slice of. So what does that mean for platforms? For one... They have a major incentive to make sponsored posts less prominent, less visible, less lucrative, so that brands will advertise on them directly and give the platform that cut of the action that they want. And no shock, that's what we see the platforms doing left and right, much to the frustration of many of the influencers who have helped make those platforms what they are. And what does it mean for influencers? To make the most money possible from the huge audiences they've built, usually across multiple platforms, influencers need to cut out the middleman, the distributor platforms that skim off ad dollars, crimp their style, and interfere with their fan relationships. It's an area rife for change, Shapira suggested. His company's main product is custom mobile apps, these official apps, for about 250 big-name influencers that allow them to move beyond the platform's rugged revenue shares, arbitrary algorithm shifts, and demonic demonetizations. EscapeX's clients include notables such as actress-entrepreneur Amber Rose, comedian Chris Delia, pinup queen Dita Von Teese, YouTube star Bart Baker, and Oscar-nominated actor Jeremy Renner, who's one of my favorites. But these American pop culture notables are only a minority of the EscapeX clients, which include herds of gigantic stars you've never heard of. From major internet markets such as India, Indonesia, and Brazil, they include performers such as Bollywood actress Topsy Panu, Filipino singer-dancer TJ Marquez, Indonesian singer-actress Luna Maya, Indian celebrity chef Sanjeev Kapoor, Colombian model Vivi Castrillon, and Brazilian singer Luan Santana. That said, few should be surprised that some of the most popular EscapeX apps belong to female performers such as Fontes and Castrillon, swimsuit model Abigail Ratchford, fitness model Ariana Blanco, Instagram star Anna Montana and Alicia Chavez, and supermodel Alessandra Ambrosio. All of them are known for their comely exteriors and willingness to wear relatively few things during photo shoots that would obscure said exteriors, and they've found quite the audience, even in a very non-X-rated, it's kind of PG-13 kind of uh, universe here on Escape X. Escape X. 
Capex's approach reminds me of several other companies I've seen over the years. I'll promise what I'll call a lord of the apps for influencers, that is one app to rule them all. These companies' apps generally promise to move influencers beyond whatever platform first gave them an online presence while opening up new ways to make money. Right from the start of our conversation, Shapiro laid out several major challenges facing apps from companies like his. You know, one, no individual celebrity is big enough to have their own standalone technology platform to back up an app and make it go. Two, no individual celebrity can create enough unique content on a routine basis to sustain a standalone app. It has to have user-generated content to provide what he said is probably 99% of all the content on the app to make it sustainable. Three, a standalone app has to provide some kind of experience that fans can't readily get for free on the social media platforms where they often generally are found. Add in the millions of dollars needed to build a competent tech backend and engaging user experience, and most such app builders never quite seem to make it all work. Tim Sovey, a guy that I've known for a while, who's a COO of Creator IQ, which tracks brand deals involving about 5 million influencers, agrees about the challenges that, that Shapira detailed, and he added another one. The platforms are getting better, he said, at keeping happy the influencers who create so much content and audience engagement. The social platforms that once seemed to hesitate to invest now are doubling or tripling down on their investments, he told me. The platforms seem to have finally realized that all that free influencer labor that they've harvested so assiduously over the years needs to be supported instead of blithely taken for granted. Otherwise, you end up like Vine, as in dying on the Vine, or what's kind of been happening at Snap, where they were quite indifferent for a very long time to influencers before they finally woke up, probably, possibly, too late. But it's not an easy play. Sovey pointed out Ballyhooed app creators like Victorious, which raised $25 million and is now gone, and Whale Rock Industries, which most famously built digital hubs for several members of the Kardashian-Jenner clan. Last month, after nearly four years of running those hubs, four of the Kardashian clan closed their digital hubs without really giving a reason. And it's certainly possible that the Kardashians were too busy to run them anymore, given their many babies, TV shows, endorsement deals, dramatic relationship issues, and oh, so many other distractions. It might not have been worth the trouble anymore, and they've made so much money that they just don't need to care about it. And it's true that while the hubs were operating, they seem to have been pretty lucrative, for at least for a time. In 2016, Forbes estimated that Kim Kardashian West alone grossed more than $45 million that year from her online ventures, as well as branded emojis and product endorsements. So perhaps their decision was less about the value of the apps and more about other immutable facts that face even the most industrious influencer. As Sauvey put it, there's still only 24 hours in a day, no matter how hardworking you are as an influencer. I got some of the same response, actually, from uh, Frank Sentin, another guy I've known for quite a while. Frank sponsored me when I was uh, first writing columns um, for a tube filter. He sponsored the column, didn't mess with it anyway, but he sponsored it, and I really appreciate it. And he's a really thoughtful guy founder of and longtime head of Beachfront, which does online video advertising on both the demand and the supply side. They created a thing called Beachfront Rise that provided 
again, one of these kinds of apps for influencers. And they, they still have some uh, users on their Beachfront Rise operation. Most notably, he said, Watch Mojo, which has 19 million subs on YouTube. As he said, the most difficult part of this is adoption and reaching scale for off of YouTube. It's a major hurdle in most influencers, and this is key, don't even know how to promote outside the social platforms that they started on. I think that's a really interesting challenge. Getting from A to B seems to be challenging everybody. The upside is that creators at heart are very entrepreneurial, so they told me. They're always looking for the hot new site or cool experiences that can be monetized. For many, though, it's much easier to build hooks inside a program, as Instagram's doing with e-commerce, than to step out and move to that other platform. It's not impossible, he said. It's just very difficult. EscapeX takes a somewhat different approach than some of its predecessors, notably with its mobile focus and international bevy of stars, a majority of whom have huge followings far from the United States. Even among EscapeX's 100 or so U.S.-based influencers, Less than a third of their followings comes from the United States. It's a reflection, really, of the increasingly global nature of the Internet itself. Scapex gives fans its Stars apps for free, along with a bit of virtual currency, which fans use to boost the visibility of posts. One moneymaker, as you'd expect, is selling lots more of that virtual currency for hardcore fans who want to boost their or other people's posts even more. Should lots of fans like one of your posts, you can earn some currency in turn. And they've made the app a gamified experience. Top three fans get consideration for goodies like access to meet and greets, product giveaways, and more. As EscapeX puts it, the apps are a chance for fans to hashtag be seen. Crucially, the apps offer subscriptions as well. It prices up to $9.99 a month. At this point, Shapira said celebrities can pretty much count on converting a tiny, tiny but meaningful percentage of their huge social media fan base into app users, and in turn, converting 15 to 20% of those free app users into paying subscribers. He said they almost have a scientific mathematical formula at this point based on age and demographics. They can tell with some high degree of certainty who's going to convert and how much. The apps can generate, he said, tens of thousands of dollars in revenue per month for some influencers. The amounts can vary widely depending on the celebrity, the size of their following, and how often and in the ways that they engage with fans through the app. Delia, for instance, records podcasts a few times a week. While the podcast is being recorded, the audio podcast is being recorded, he takes his phone, turns it on, and streams the podcast recording live to his app's paying subscribers. Everyone else gets an edited audio-only version of the podcast a couple of days later. The subscribers get the whole thing with the video, uncut and unedited. And as Shapira put it to me, the real innovation here is taking something that was an unused, undervalued resource, like, actually it wasn't even a resource at all, like Delia's unedited live stream from his podcast recording, and turning it into a resource that they can actually make money from. Could also be, say, an athlete live streaming her daily workout, or behind-the-scenes material at an event. It all becomes another revenue opportunity for a savvy celeb trying to reach out to their close fans. (music) 
And of course, there's still that vast opportunity with branded or sponsored content here, minus the restriction, toll fees, algorithmic headaches that the big platforms hand down, with a lot more opportunity to speak directly about the things and the companies that are also supporting a celebrity with their core audience. Shapir is a veteran entrepreneur. He grew up in Poland, Israel, and Taiwan, one of the most interesting trios of background uh, countries in somebody's life that I've ever heard of. He said he invested about $5 million in launching the company before getting a Series A round backed by Tribeca Ventures and a Singapore venture fund. I don't know if Shapira and EscapeX have cracked the nut of the standalone celebrity app. They're focused on mobile, a tiered freemium subscription model, community building, and international reach all seem smart and have good potential. But regardless of what happens with EscapeX, it feels like there's an opportunity here. Audiences are wary and weary of big social media platforms. They're disconnecting, especially from Facebook, even as the most ardent of them seek better ways to connect more deeply with the objects of their attention. Creator IQ Sauvé suggested that for all their annoyance with the big platforms, quote, there might be a disconnect between enthusiasm and habit among many social media users. I think that that's true. I think a lot of folks are still coasting along on Facebook, even though they hate it. Um, I noticed that uh, Roger McNamee, who is Mark Zuckerberg's former mentor, is now has now written a book talking about uh, how disillusioned he is with uh, Facebook, but yet still they have 1.5 billion people using it every month. That is uh, still quite a bit of habit, if not enthusiasm. The next top platform, so they speculated, might come from a digital giant such as Amazon, which already has the red-hot Twitch and is planning more platforms, it looks like. Could come from someplace like the very sticky Pinterest, which continues to grow, or even ByteDance with its merged TikTok and a just-launched new Chinese video site. And maybe it won't even be real influences. It'll be the virtual ones, like Lil Michaela from Brood, which just locked up somewhere between 20 and $30 million in investment for its not-real influencer influencing. Apps like EscapeX give superfans more material, more engagement, and more ways to support their favorite influencer, and do it all in a less constrained and better-mediated way not an easy play, but these apps create meta-communities that straddle the influencer's existing presence on the web, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, and then take hardcore fans to another level, one that they can make money from. As we're discovering in lots of settings these days, feeding the superfan is a smart way to maximize your revenue, build your engagement, and connect more deeply. EscapeX's next step, Shapira told me, is launching a tool that creates an individual app for just about anyone. When it arrives, we'll be one step closer to a world where we'll all be social media stars, unmoored from Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and all their problems and limits. I'm still guessing we're going to probably need to be on Instagram, though. Anyway, those are my thoughts for this episode. Um, I think I'm going to add in the conversation I had with Tim Sauvey. It was pretty interesting stuff. I didn't get a chance to uh, record the conversation with Shapira, though he's a very smart guy doing interesting things and worth a recording. Maybe some other time I'll be able to drop that for you so you can listen to more what more of what he's trying to do with EscapeX. In the meantime, give a listen to this and to uh, my sponsor's message, and I look forward to talking to you all soon. This is David Bloom, over and out.
You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. Thanks and welcome back, everybody. This is David Bloom again with Bloom in Tech. I am so glad you came and stayed. Uh, this is the part I mentioned a conversation with Tim Sove. He is the COO of Creator IQ, which is based in the LA area up in Culver City. Uh, Tim's a very thoughtful guy. Their company tracks all kinds of brand deals involving 5 million influencers. It's a pretty remarkable database that they have, and he has a good visibility into a lot of what's going on in the influencer marketing space. I talked with him some about what's happening in this area and with Sefi Shapira of EscapeX, and here he and I uh, get into this a little bit, and I just wanted to share some of the conversation. Give it a listen. So what's the, the, the storyteller show? What, what, what are you going to be taking part in? So the, it, it's interesting because, um, to, to your point, because there's a popular event, it, it must be overrun with things that aren't at its core, a la South By or VidCon or Comic-Con. Right. So the brand storytelling conference is actually a branded content influencer marketing type conference with mm. uh, quite a few uh, leading brands like Coca-Cola to HP to Intel to Disney, you name it, we'll all be there. Kind of showcasing the work that they've done in our space over the last year and really what they're focused on. And so it's part presentation, part panels, and part group breakout or roundtable kind of strategic thinking. So it's about 150 or so industry leaders. And we actually have quite a few clients who, who are there. Um, so nice. for us, it's, okay. think of it as more of like a, a, a trade show type conference that an ad week or someone else would, would put on or a Digiday would put on. Um, it just happens to be at Sundance. So that yeah. sounds actually pretty useful and much more on point than, uh, oh, let's go stand in line for another party for a movie that hasn't come out yet. Um, exactly. exactly. It's definitely not a boondoggle event by any means for, for us. We're, we're not in the business of that. I wanted to talk with you. I sat down last week with a guy named Sefi Shapira, and he's the CEO of a company called Escape X. And they're one of these companies that does, I like to call them the Lord of the Apps. You know, they're these, these uh, apps that bring together influencers feeds from Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Instagram and the web and brings them all together in one place. And then they allow them to monetize those experiences in a different way. So they're not quite at the mercy of an individual uh, social media platform's decision to, oh, we're going to demonetize this episode or we're going to the algorithm is going to shift and we're no longer doing your stuff. So there's no organic reach. It gives you a different way to get some money. You've got a subscription potential, but it's free. They're the official apps. And I'm just sort of curious from your perspective, as somebody who works on the marketing, the influencer marketing at a really deep level and tracks these deals for these big name guys, they've got some big names, but they're not just here, they're overseas. What's the opportunity here for these kind of things? Do they make sense? Creators at heart are, are very entrepreneurial, right? Whether it is 
a new social platform that pops up. We saw this in 2015 and 16 with Snapchat. We saw it with Vine prior to that. We've seen it in with Musical.ly since uh, since that, which you know has now become TikTok. Creators uh, yeah. are going to try and find new revenue streams. Actually, Twitch is really the successful one yeah. out of those, right? Um, and and I think the challenge that creators have is twofold. One, while they're entrepreneurial, just like everyone else, the last time I checked, they only have 24 hours in, in their day. They really are trying. Uh, there's someone. Um, I should track down a slide for you. You might be able to find it. But there's a there's a, a, a great uh, anecdote out in the world uh, that talks about you know a typical day in the life of a creator, and everyone thinks it's yeah. just taking taking uh, selfies. And really, it is a 12, 14, 16 hour day for for a lot of these creators, from mm-hmm. ideation to developing content specifically for different platforms to shooting long form content for their YouTube channels, or it could be even premium content for Facebook watch, responding to their audience, staying engaged and oftentimes managing three, four, five, six platforms. So, you know, one creators are going to move to where they can monetize the most or best. Uh, We've seen the likes of Snapchat and Vine fall off because of the perceived lack of either attention to creators uh, or perceived value of creators and or lack of monetization on those platforms for creators and platforms that have offered the 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 best or or strongest monetization opportunities obviously youtube being uh, example 1a have, have had the longest stickiness and strongest relationships with creators so one do they have enough hours in the day to have yet another platform, which is really their own brand, which to me, I would imagine is a lot of work to make sure it's perfected. You know, do they have time in the day to do that? Second is the classic case of how do you move audiences from one platform to another? Um, it, 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 it's just proven to be difficult. Uh, even in, in, Feature film marketing, my my early days background, or or brand marketing, we would try and haul people from Facebook or YouTube to purchase tickets or to an owner operated website, uh, and it's it's much easier to build hooks inside a platform, a la what Instagram Stories is is doing with e commerce, than to expect a multi step point to take someone to an app store to download an app, to create a profile, and then to remember to spend time and engage with, with that creator on an O and O app, as opposed to where, as we know, they're spending six hours a day inside social platforms. It's where they're communicating with their friends. Uh, So it it, it makes it difficult. New apps and pop up all the time. Uh, from gaming to music to to lifestyle, um, so it's not to say that it can't be done. It's just very difficult. And then, last but not least, and I touch on this a, a little bit, probably the third point is the social platforms are getting s- smarter, and they're sp- they're spending more money and paying more attention today uh, than ever before to creators or with creators. And so, you are going to now compete head to head with 
an entire team at Facebook whose only job is to make creators happy and try and figure out content and monetization on their platform to keep them there. And whether that's Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, they all now have fully robust teams uh, to focus on this even by category. Creators, musicians, actors, celebrities, politicians, all have dedicated teams on the social platforms uh, to to focus specifically around how they create more content and quality content for the platforms to keep their audiences engaged. Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting notion. I mean, uh, right. I mean, even this guy, he laid out, he started, first thing he says, look, there's three things, you know, and, and he kind of went through some of, some of what you're saying. Uh, no individual celebrity is big enough to have their own standalone technology. So no backend. No one can do their own backend, right? They can't develop. They don't, they, so you need to share that. You know, no individual celebrity can create enough content. So you better have a bunch of user-generated stuff. And then finally, are you creating experience that's good enough as you say, people will come over. And I think that's really tough, particularly uh, as these, I mean, it's really, an inter- to me, what's fascinating about this is, is that the platforms got huge off of free labor. Yep. And now some of these guys are big enough, like they only really, they have about 250 people using their stuff. And there's some relatively big names, you know, like Bob Marley's estate and uh, Bart Baker, um, whom I know, Amber Rose, Chris Delia, the comedian, Dita Vontees, Jeremy Renner, the actor. They've got, you know, he's not as big a name, but he's, he's got a big following. But you're right. I mean, they can't create enough content, so you better hope somebody else is doing it for you, that they come and they stay and they keep cranking stuff out. And they've got, you know, they've got some interesting little wiggles there. But you're right. There's, there are some systemic challenges that you really have to crack uh to really make it work i think the other thing that's interesting and you may have some visibility to this is only about 100 of their 250 uh, apps or client apps are uh american u.s-based stars and most of the followings even for the u.s-based um stars are overseas so you know in india indonesia brazil those giant overseas markets that are you know, not controlled by China, um, but that have their own stuff going on. Is, yeah. is there an opportunity from your perspective as somebody who sees the bigger picture? Is there an opportunity in that broader Internet world as it gets more diverse, as it moves away from being less U.S. centric, that maybe hasn't been leveraged as well um, by some some predecessors? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and, and I'll be completely fair. It's it's international markets aren't necessarily my my core, right? But even on uh, even on the the large social platforms, the Facebooks and Instagrams of the world, the typical sixty forty split, maybe even seventy thirty split, international to U.S. So U.S. has been in the minority for mm-hmm. for some years now. Uh, it, I don't think it's necessarily a new phenomenon. However, new technologies are coming online in, in developing worlds or developing countries. Usage does continue to increase uh, around the world in general when you just look at basically mobile usage, right? And that's a, that's a yeah. pretty key leading indicator. How, yeah. However, 
the social platforms know those are th- their growth territories as well. So yeah, right. one might assume that they follow the same growth patterns there uh, as they top out in the U.S. Uh, it's not to say that the mobile usage and kind of affinities for Korea are the same as Brazil as they are in the U.S. You absolutely you could see a case where uh, you see this even in communication apps like line versus WhatsApp versus versus Facebook messenger for lack of a better example, different usage in different territories um, based on, you know, a a country's cultural preferences. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, So that's, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely the case. It's just, it's kind of the classic David versus Goliath story as social platforms who once were hesitant to invest in original content seem to be doubling, tripling, you know, quadrupling down on their investment as they not only start to compete against each other, but they start to compete against the, the traditional media companies and the Netflixes and the Spotify's of the world. We, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but, you know, it, it really seems like daily or monthly active users are while still incredibly important time spent and um, time spent on platform and content consumed on platform, specifically video seems to be really the leading indicators that are leading metrics that the social platforms are fighting for as they compete for ad dollars against television and, and, and other mediums. These apps are mobile only. So I think they've got like maybe a vestigial web presence, but it's really not. You're not going to go find the, the Jeremy Renner official uh, web page here. And I think that's probably smart, particularly if you've got a big international following. But I'm just sort of wondering, as you know, it seems to me the stakes are bigger than ever, though, because we've seen a lot of blowback against Facebook. We've seen um, Twitter whacking back a lot of fake accounts and people you know, using that a little more carefully. Instagram's taken off, but it seems like everybody else still doing great-ish, but not getting the kinds of growth they were getting, not getting kinds of uh, enthusiasm they were getting. At least that's my sense of things. Is that accurate? And as that happens, does that in any way open up any opportunity for something beyond what they are? As you say, everybody's trying to figure out what's the next new thing that they can extract dollars from. I'm just sort of wondering... As enthusiasm evolves, what do we what do we have here? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I I don't know if I have the perfect answer for it, but I I think sometimes there might be a disconnect between enthusiasm and habits. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and yeah, more, that's a good way to put it. It sounds like my life. Uh, <laughs> exactly exactly i mean i i look i even consider it in, like in the in the investment world where uh it seems like and we're part of this investment in media and entrepreneurism we're always talking about stuff that's five years ahead of what consumer habit habits actually are and that's yeah that's why we do what what we do but we'll see about snaps numbers that come out in a couple of weeks that's the concern mm-hmm. around them but it seems to me like the usage is still there. We're just topping out on 
especially in the US, the amount of people that can actually be on these platforms. Um, but they're still right. using. Yeah, it's a little bit like what's going on, on the uh, the streaming video side, right? Like Netflix, it'll get a little, it'll get a few more people to sign up here and there. And I think the last their last numbers, they had like a million people in the United States or something around there, uh, new subscribers. But almost all of their growth was overseas because there just aren't that many additional places to go for market penetration here. You're you're sort of fully you fully reached your capacity here for possible. Uh, subscribers, particularly if you're not going to hammer down the shared password stuff, you know, I mean, if you're not going to control that in some way, folks are in part, yes, they're less enthusiastic, but they still do it. I mean, they still get on Facebook, though they hate Facebook or, you know, they've been really pissed off the last year and a half. They're still getting on there. Is there anything as you look out there that provides another opportunity for the big influencers, the folks I mean, you you see the whole waterfront, but are there um, are the big boys? Do they have something here? Is there something out there besides the the big four? You know, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram. I, I think today, unfortunately, I mean, we'll, we'll see what TikTok and and ByteDance do, and how how that brand evolves, and how musically mm. it evolves, but. I unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess how you look at it, I, I think it's other other big guys, right? So Pinterest continues to be a really sticky, albeit somewhat under-the-radar platform with an IPO next year. Um, yeah. Amazon has moved into this space in a in a really big way. And if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a creator, uh, you know, I'm very interested in understanding what Amazon plans to do this to the space and be a first mover, even if it doesn't work, right? And we, we've seen this happen where there's first mover advantage and then something fizzles out in, in six to 12 months. I'm not saying that's right. the case with Amazon. I tend to believe Amazon Amazon does something. They they tend to do it quite well as their, their market cap suggests. I'm looking at other, other large-scale platforms as probably the, you know, next mover into the space um, as opposed to an upstart. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Amazon has Twitch, so it's not like they're, they're brand new to the space. I'm, I'm more curious yeah. to see how Twitch evolves from, you know, quote-unquote, just uh, or predominantly gaming into a, a more broadly serving live streaming platform. Um, and you know, they're they're starting to get sports deals and some other things that broadens out their, their market. But I think they're still trying to figure that out. If I were to guess. Uh, yeah, it'd be fascinating. I mean, but you're talking about, uh, some other social component beyond Twitch that, uh, layers in the e-commerce there and other content and God knows what else. I mean, I, I wrote uh, recently about uh, a new site that NBC Universal is rolling out that's called uh, Blueprint. And it is, you know, they bought this little site in Denver in 2017 called Craftsy. It's all focused on hobbyist stuff. And they were doing transactional VOD for lessons and then selling supplies to the creators, the hobbyists for like painting or, you know, uh, knitting or whatever. And they've taken it, they've rebranded it, they've expanded into some new categories like writing and photography. And but more importantly, they're trying to figure out the e-commerce front and they went to subscription VOD. But but like all their all their teachers and all those classes are celebrities 
or influencers in waiting. And now they're they're cross pollinating from there on to NBC's, you know, the, the Today Show and to the Bravo reality shows and the E shows and all that. And then taking people like Al Roker and bringing them back over and doing programming on Blueprint. So this, these are your big influencers, right? But it's within the NBC Universal space where they've got a lot of money and they've got a lot of reasons and they've got 23 million uh, internet users on on uh, Comcast and they've got 23 million more in Europe. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really some interesting potential there, I think. Amazon, I would think, would be doing that also with the e-commerce component, celebrity types. How do we wire that all into our broader things? Isn't that kind of where it has to go probably with those guys? I, I, I think so, yeah. I, I think your your hypothesis is spot on. Well, I've taken enough of your time. I really appreciate this. It's useful to get some knowledgeable perspective. Very helpful. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Bye. And that was my conversation with Tim Sove, COO of Creator IQ in the Los Angeles area. I hope you enjoyed it. And my earlier thoughts on where we go with influencers beyond the the, the, the big platforms. And give me your thoughts. Please uh, send me a line. Follow me on my various social media and uh, definitely support our sponsors and support me if you can. I'd really appreciate it. This is David Bloom for Bloom and Tech. You all have a great uh, weekend. Uh, over and out. You've been listening to Bloom and Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.